0: good evening Um, we're recording right okay good trying to do everything myself here I'm just kidding Um, it's a pleasure to see everybody Uh, thanks for coming out Um, before we start let's go ahead and let's pray father God we just give you thanks for this time we give you thanks that we get to come and to hear your word father we get to come and fellowship together but ultimately we get to come and remember your son the Lord Jesus Christ father we give you thanks for your son for what he's done and I just pray right now, Father, that as we open the word and, we, and we, we gather together, that you would just reveal to us, Father, what it is that you want us to see. Father, we pray that it would be your will and your words that are spoken, Father, and that um, it would not be of me. We give you thanks in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I want to share a story real quick. Um, when I was in high school, uh, me, my father, and my brother, we went to a concert. We went to go see um, a band a band called Switchfoot. Reliant K, they were doing a tour, it was called the Appetite for Construction Tour. It's a play on the Appetite for Destruction Tour that Guns N' Roses put on. And essentially they did this tour to raise money for Habitat for Humanity. Um, and the whole point of the tour was to make money so they can give to the, give to the community, give to the people that need houses. But anyways, me and my father and my brother, we would go to concerts together all the time. Um, usually I dictated the kind of music that we liked Um, And then my dad was the one that gave us a ride to get to the concert. And in exchange, she would hang out with us and go to the concert. It was great. We had a a great time. Um, But before, now you can buy VIP tickets, right? And now you pay it a little extra. You get the show when the show starts, and they'll let you in for free. But back then, they weren't big enough for VIP. So if you wanted to be front row in the concert, that meant that when the concert was at 7 and the doors opened at 6, you would show up at noon to be the first person there. And we did that, and for lack of a better word, religiously. Every, every, every show, every concert, we were there at noon, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever day it was, we'd skip school, skip work, and we would get there early because we wanted to be the first people there, and we wanted to be on the rail, in the pit, right there, raw concert, right in your face. Um, but usually when you're there, you're gonna be there for six hours, and you end up meeting a lot of people. In this one particular time, we were sitting in line, and there was these two guys, and I believe because the concert was at UC Irvine, I believe they were students at UC Irvine. One of the guys had a sweatshirt, uh, UC, Irv- uh, UC Irvine, I think they're the anteaters. Um, so they had their sweatshirt, and the other guy I'm assuming was his friend, doormate, someone that was also there, and I just remember him wearing a queen, a queen t-shirt, Queen Rock Band t-shirt. And they were waiting in line, and, and you know, you're know, you sitting next to people waiting in line, everyone doesn't wanna move because if they move, they know they're gonna lose their, their space, and it's, it's, it's all a waste, so everyone's close together. So these guys are talking and they're having a conversation. And the one thing that I picked up in that conversation was that the guy with the queen, t- or the queen sweater really hated Reliant K. He was talking to the other guy, and the other guys are excited about Switch, they're, they're talking about what songs they want to hear and what they want to do. And the one guy's like, ah, I just hope Reliant K goes by quickly. I hate those guys. And the guy pressed him he's was like, well, why do you hate him? He goes, I don't, I don't know. I just don't like them. I don't like their music. I don't like what they stand for. I don't like anything about them. And you know what I'm gonna do? When the show starts and they get on stage, I'm just gonna sit there, hands crossed, and I'm not gonna do anything, because I want them to know how much I don't like them. And then they'll get off the stage and Switch will get on, we'll have a good time. And I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty strong, uh, you know, sentiment. And to be honest, when the show started, he did exactly just that. And like I said, we were, we were, they were probably next to us. We're all on the rail, so we are literally the first people they see when they step on stage. And this guy in the middle of the concert. Body, a sea of bodies moving around, still like a rock. I'm not going to move. Let's put a pin in that story, and we'll kind of touch on what happens, um, what happened after that story. Um, if you will, please open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, um, we'll be starting in verse 16. Um, I feel like every time we talk about um, Galatians, everyone does a recap of what the book of Galatians is about, and I will do exactly the same thing. Um, so as we've been going through Galatians, we've been seeing a lot of different things. We've been seeing this idea of being free from, un, from being under the law. Um, the beginning of the book, we start, about, we start talking about the immutability of the gospel. Paul goes on to, to explain why he has authoritative ship over the gospel, because he was given that by, by, by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then he goes and addresses a few things. He brings up this argument that uh, we have salvation through faith. They use Abraham as an example. And then like our brother David read this morning, um, talking about um, not having to put ourselves, that we're no longer subjected to being under the law. And now that we've come to this point in this passage, now Paul is going to talk about how should we as believers present ourselves in action. He's just given this argument that you and I are no longer under the law, so then how are we supposed to act now that we are free of the law? And so we're hoping to go through this portion and kind of see what that means to have freedom in Christ from out, out from under the law, but what the, Lord, what the Lord and what God actually want us to do. Let's go ahead and begin reading. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. I warn you, as I have warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us, keep, uh, let us, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So we begin then, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, here, when he says, you know, but I say, he is repeating what he's already said uh, in verse 13, talking about having the freedom from the flesh to serve and love one another. Um, in, verse, in verse 13, if we go a little bit back, we see, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only to not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so here Paul is kind of reiterating that. He's gonna use that argument and he's gonna keep building upon it. And he says, walk by the Spirit. The word Spirit here we know is pneuma, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that indwells every believer. And when he says walk, the idea is, um, you know, we think of walk and we think of the actual verb walking, but what he's saying is, I want you to live, behave, to become the spirit. And we, we kind of, we understand this to be more of a habitual sense. Um, there's other passages where the word walk is used in a similar fashion. When we look in Mark chapter 7, um, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they ask him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition? So they weren't doing the things that the, the the religious leaders were doing, and they were challenging Jesus. Why do they not walk? Why are they not doing what we've always done in this tradition? John chapter eight, um, the Lord Jesus says, "I am the light of the, wor- of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness." And then Romans six four, as as as, as Paul is expounding, he talks about walking in the newness of life. So when we, we see this word, it's really this idea of becoming, of of habitual movement towards something. And here he's saying, "Walk by the Spirit. So become the Spirit. Do the Spirit. Habitually do the things that the Spirit wants you to do." Um, then, first and foremost, I want to say that in order to walk in the Spirit, the Spirit must live in you. We we say that through salvation. We 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 talk about this all the time. That we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has come he came to give his life, to, to sacrifice himself, and through his blood, through his death, through his resurrection, we have that salvation so that every believer who believes is now indwelled with the Spirit. So when Paul gives this argument, walk in the Spirit, he is reminding us that you need to have the Spirit if you want to walk by the Spirit. So first and foremost, this has to be this idea that you need to have that Spirit in you. Um, and we'll keep going. And, and So you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Um, here, the word gratify, it has kind of a connotation of 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 a completion of of moving towards something so even though you have these desires with the flesh you're not going to complete those desires you're not going to let those desires take over and you're not going to let them lead the way that they want you to lead Um, and one of the things that Paul's going to stress out in these next couple of verses is essentially the spirit and the flesh are 100 percent exclusive you cannot have both and they're fighting against each other and to go a little bit more into clarity, when Paul here is talking about the flesh, I believe he's talking about um, this idea of an, odd, an ungodly lifestyle of selfishness and like-minded characteristics of self-gratification. So me, selfishness, what do I want? What does my interior, what does everything that is, is, makes me a human, what does that want? And that's what I believe he's talking about, being the flesh. And then the spirit would be the like complete opposite, right? And it would be um, that, that which has a consciousness of God, that directs us, and so essentially, what does God want me to do? So here's Paul is making these, these two very different distinctions. The flesh, the opposite, selfishness, what I want, and then the spirit, God, what does God want, What is God will, what is, what is, what is, what is that I'm supposed to do that's heavenly? And here he's saying, you know, to do one, you don't want to gratify the other. Um, and to be honest, we kind of see this, um, we kind of see this ideal that um, sometimes people will Take the flesh and, you know, either if you look back in, in the church tradition, there are people who they fight so so much against the flesh that they include the, the physical flesh, and you end up having the sex of people who, um, you know, deny themselves food, they flagellate themselves, they do all these different things to beat themselves into submission because they kind of take this verse and they go a little bit farther. I think what Paul's really trying to get to, though, is, this, is the inward sinful nature that he's talking about, the flesh. I'm not saying that if you feel towards fasting or doing anything else, that way you would deprive yourself. I'm not saying that you cannot do that. I'm just saying... We really want to make sure that we understand the focus here is the internal, the spiritual, the what makes you—you know—what makes you a sinful human being. Um, let's keep going. Verse, uh, verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those who are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Um, here, this idea against—it uh, literally means they're on opposite sides. So if you are at a battle, and the battle is two sides, there's a line. You guys are actually the farthest point away from each other on, the, on that line. Two opposite sides. Um, and here the, and here, what he's trying to say is, um, for you, each each position wants to not let the other position win. So the flesh doesn't want the spirit to win, and the spirit doesn't want the flesh to win. Um, but in reality, what we need to remember is there's no healthy mix of the two Um There's no way to balance the the flesh and the spirit. Um, And they're they're completely opposing dichotomies. Um, If you wanna think back maybe to third grade science, uh, when you had to do your project, one of the projects that I feel like every kid does and that I I know I did, is that you think of water and oil. And so you think of when you mix water and oil in a cup, um, the way that they're molecularly, molecularly made, they are fighting to repel each other. Um, if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty, the way that water is molecularly created, it's, it's polar. It has, a, it has a charge, and water attracts other water, but oil that is not charged is actually repelled by water, and that's why when you mix the two, eventually they will separate, and because oil is less dense than water, it'll rise to the top. But they will never they will never mix. Um, in science, that's called them um, having an uh, immiscible quality. It'll never be homogeneous, and homogeneous, again, like you think of milk. Milk is white, and it's all white. Um, it's never going to be a perfect mixture. When something, when something like, uh, you, you can also think of water and food coloring, like if you put a little food coloring in the water, even though you put just a drop in or even just put a little, a little sprinkle in, eventually it dissipates into the water and the entire water changes so that it looks like one big, you know, red, green, whatever color you put in there, one glass of that liquid. It actually will never separate, it will actually stay the same as opposed to like water and oil which will eventually separate. But there's this idea that these two qualities will never mix. They will never stay contained to each other and they will continue to repel each other because of what they're trying to do. And here Paul wants to make that clear, there is no healthy mix. Um, There's this idea again in science we think of um, molecules and that because of matter in science two molecules, two, two substances of matter cannot occupy the same space. Right? That's why you can't push, you know, like two, two, two building blocks, you can't push them together, and they won't they won't meld and become something. They will repel each other. And there's this idea that they cannot occupy the same space, and in the same way, the flesh and the spirit, just the same, cannot occupy the same space. They will either bounce off each other, move in and collide with each other, they will do something, but they will never, ever mix. And here Paul wants to make that very clear: is that they are always fighting in contrast to each other. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Um, This idea of being led is this idea of being brought by the Spirit. If the Spirit is leading you, if you are allowing yourself to be taken somewhere, then you are not under the law. And when he speaks of under the law, as our brother was explaining earlier, this idea of being under the law usually is of a, a negative sense. If you are under something, then you are inferior to it. And so the law, we know, was never meant to be completed by man. It was meant to be a mirror to man to show them how far they were from God's perfection. You know, the law was placed so that they would see how far they were from holding up to God's standard. It really was just a mirror to show you who you really were. And here he's saying that, that if you're under the law, you know you're going to be inferior to the law because the law is perfect, right? The law is going to be done in a way that if it were to be completed, it would be of perfection. But you look at it and you see that you are inferior to the law. And he's saying, you don't have to be. You know, when you have the spirit, you are not under the law and you are not made inferior to it. Um... And if we read in Romans eight, you can turn there if you want. I'll read it really quickly. Romans eight, chapter chapter eight, verse one. There there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of of life in Christ, Jesus has uh, has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh and that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according uh, in the flesh but according to the spirit. And here, here Paul again is letting them know that the Christ Jesus has come. He has done that. He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the one that was able to complete the law. And because of his righteousness, that's why we get to have that righteousness. That's why we get to have salvation. But it's not of us. You know, it's of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he's trying to let them know the Lord already vanquished the law. He already took care of the law. We are no longer subjected to the law. Um, and then if we look back at Galatians 3, our brother, when our brother was sharing, um, you know, he reminds us that the people that received the Spirit didn't receive the Spirit because of the works. They received the Spirit because of the faith that they had. And it goes on and gives more examples in, in, in that way. Um, actually, our brother Russ shared a verse this morning, and it really, it really resonated with me, and I actually had to write it down to make sure that I repeated it today. Uh, but he read in First Peter chapter 3, he read in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous being Jesus, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. For every one of us in this room that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, that is your position. We have died in the flesh, and we have been risen in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we are no longer under under the, under the law. Um, I just want to make a like a quick example. Also. I, I'm always about quick examples. Um, I think Al shared this, and I and I wanted to share it again. Um, when you follow the speed limit, what happens? Well, everyone's yeah, everyone's passing you. That's, it's true. That's true. You're not wrong. When you follow the speed limit nothing happens. At best, you just don't get a ticket. But you don't gain anything. You know, maybe your insurance goes down. Maybe you don't get in an accident and that counts as something. But you ain't getting anything out of it. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating to not follow the law. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I speed, but I'm not. I'm not advocating. <laughs> what I am saying is you do not receive anything by obeying the speed limit. It's actually funny. I've seen stories where, and this could never happen here, but there's stories in smaller towns where the sheriff or the sheriffs or the police officers will go, and they'll pull people over for doing the right thing. You use your blinker, you use your stop sign, they'll pull you over, and these people are freaking out, thinking they did something wrong. Like David said, even, even David freaks out when there's a cop behind him, and the cop will be like, knocks on the window, and the guy's like, what happened? He's like, oh, we're doing a promotion, and for people who follow the law and you know do good things, and they give him like a gift card or something. And from the comments that I read, most people hate it because, A, I'm late for work, I'm already stressed out, my med- you know, I, I'm taking heart medication, now I'm getting pulled over, for what, for $5? And they freak out. So even when they do the right thing and people try to give them something for it, most people don't want it. They're like, i got to get to work. Like, you're making me stay here for 20 minutes. So the point is, in reality, you can complete the law for the rest of your life, but it's really not going to do anything. I get it. It's going to keep you out of jail. It's going to keep you out of all these bad things. I understand the, what it can do But in reality What it does itself It doesn't do anything And that's what Paul Is trying to say You keep the law It doesn't do anything But for those of us Who have given ourselves To the Lord Jesus Christ Who have come into salvation I always think that We try to We, we, we paint this picture Of salvation As balancing a, a, a balance sheet And we had our Camp meeting yesterday And we're talking about The budgets And you have you have um, you have you know projected budgets, and then you have your actuals, and then your hope is that if I said we're going to spend ten thousand dollars on this one thing, that we really did only spend ten thousand dollars on this one thing, and you're always trying to figure out a balance between the two. If you're a nonprofit, you don't want to end with money extra because you're not supposed to. So you got to find ways to redistribute it. And if you're under or if you're overspending, then you have to find ways to fix it. Because if you spend too much money, then you're just going to go bankrupt and not have whatever you're trying to do. So there's always this careful trying to figure out this, this dance of I don't want to go over. I don't want to go under. I want to stay at zero. And sometimes I feel like we, we do that with the way that we explain salvation. And I'm not saying that's not a part of it. But at the end of the day, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes into your heart and he takes away your sin and he takes away and makes you righteous in the eyes of God, you're right. We were in a debt that we couldn't pay and now we're at zero. But then he goes over and he deposits money into your account. You think of what we receive when we become when we become believers. We, 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 we're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We're given the fruits of the Spirit. We're given a promise of a place in heaven. We're given a promise of eternal life, of an inheritance, of all these things that are given to the wisdom, peace, hope. And we're going to go into a bunch of things later on in this chapter. But you're actually given more than what you're owed. You know, David made this, uh, he did the example of a guy who goes and he gets picked up, he's put in jail, and then they come and they tell him, you know, hey, you're free to go, we messed up, you know, you weren't supposed to get arrested, and the guy's free, right? And his point was, this guy would never say, well, like, I'd rather just stay here. Like, of course the guy's gonna go. But salvation is even much more than that. Not only are you free to go, here's a little extra for you, let me me make up for what you've lost, let me give you extra, something that you've never had before. So this idea of salvation is, not only are we brought back to zero, but then we're given more. So why would you want to go back to the law that doesn't give you anything? Why would you want to subject yourself to something that wants to keep you in bondage. We read in 1 Timothy um, chapter 1 um, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the, in, the unsubordinate, uh, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, and it goes on to list a number of other things that the law is made for. It's not meant for those that are free. It's not meant for those that the Lord has paid their price. It's not meant for those that the Lord has desired to, to bring into his inheritance, into his fellowship. Um, verse 19 Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here he says the works are evident, they're known, they're visible. Um, In some translations, the work can almost mean like they're shining, like they're so obvious that you can't hide it. Like, they glow. They glow in the dark. You know, you're in the darkness. They still glow. They're out in the light. They just shine. And they just, they, they make themselves obvious. Um, and this idea of being manifest, that they are, it's going to seep out, you know, and that it's going to be obvious. Um, and so some, some theologians, some that study the Bible, they separate these. He makes this list. Not, it's not an exhaustive list. Um, but he may, they, they categorize into a couple things. Usually they do in four categories, sometimes three. Um, but the four categories they look into are uh, sensual sins. Religious sins, and then these two are sometimes combined, um, but usually interpersonal and societal sins, or if you combine them, community sins. Um, and so, you know, we'll kind of go through it a little bit. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Talking about um, sexual immorality is the word uh, "pornēia," and usually that's the word we get for pornography. Um, and here, um, sometimes the New Testament translate um, it translates um, "pornēia," this word for sexual immorality, um, in four different ways: um, fornication. Um, it, it also does it for adultery, harlotry, and then forms of unchastity. Um, so here, when he's talking about sexual morality, he's covering a basis of sins, um, and he's using he's you know he's being he's being very clear that it really co- encompasses a lot of different things. When he talks about impurity, um, this idea that some translations bring it as uncleanness, um, the same word is sometimes is sometimes derived from when Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he calls them um, whitewashed tombs. So they're white on the outside, they look nice, but on the inside, they're dead, they're rotten. So this idea of impurity is sometimes that same idea of just rottenness, death, there's nothing inside that is, that is good. And then usually, if, if you go in Ephesians, it has the same word, and it talks about this idea that it derives from selfishness. So again, there's just this negative inside, all is bad, Momo Jumbo. <laughs> and then we go to sensuality, and it talks about this idea of lewdness, licentiousness. Um, and really, the word that it comes down to is wanton. You just want to sin. It's, it's just don't care. Whatever you can do, I'm going to do it. If there's something bad I can do, I want to do it. And that's usually what that word means. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I think about, um, and you know, this is not meant to be purposely bashful or, or bashing on one thing, but we think of uh, now today we think of like homosexuality. You know, and and at the end of the day, um, we've gotten to this point where you know, they want to have pride parades, right? It's, it's, it's pride month, it's pride parades, it's pride culture, and they wanna be celebrated for what they do, right? And they, they make this argument that, you know, whatever they wanna make this argument, but the idea is they want it to be promoted. They want it to be made so that everybody knows what it is, accepts what it is, and you know, would move towards that way, and this, that's the idea of this idea of, of, of lewdness is wanton. It's just I want everyone to know, I want everyone to do it, and I want to do it all the time whenever I can. And so, that's that's the distinction for that word. Um, we'll keep going. Idolatry and witchcraft again, we think of idolatry, um, putting something, putting something as number one. Um, but in what I would make the distinction too for idolatry is you're putting something in place of number one when the Lord should be number one. And so what you're saying is that the Lord is not good enough to be number one. You're saying this other thing. And it can be anything, right? Usually the, we, we hear idolatry, we think of you know, miniature idols, wooden things, carved things. But in reality, it's anything that we put in front of God's place. It's anything that we've decided we don't want God to be first, we want this to be first. Um, witchcraft, again, um, some people think that because of the time that, that Paul is in and because of the region that he's in, um, he's actually, maybe he is referring to witchcraft and sorcery. Um, the, the word for witchcraft actually is the same word we get um, pharmacy from. So in some cases, people also include um, drugs in this, in this interpretation because of the hallucinogens that they would take in order to perform whatever witchcraft they wanted to do. But he's also talking about, I guess, this idea of letting yourself be, the idea is mind controlled, but the idea is you're allowing yourself to be subjected to a hallucinogen or something like that that makes you go crazy. But the idea is just this idea of witchcraft also. Um, enmity, strife, jealousy, and fits of anger. Um, we think of enmity and it's this idea of hatred. Your inner motivation for what you're doing is because I either hate this person, hate this thing, or hate whatever. Um, and essentially, it's the opposite, love. And when you have love in your heart, you do things out of a purposeful, out of a purposeful want to love someone. But here, this idea of enmity is hatred inward. Um, we think of even when Jesus is giving, um, he's, he's preaching to the masses. He's telling them, if you hate your brother, you're, you're, you're a murderer. You know, He makes that distinction very clear that people think that, well, I'm not a murderer. He's like, well, if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And so there's this idea that enmity is the same way. There's almost, is almost an internal, an internal hatred, um, strife. This idea of contention, the connotation, debating. You know, having quarreling with people, fighting with them, um, jealousy. I um, you know, jealousy can mean two different things. It can mean and it's there's two words that sometimes is used in the language, ardor, which is this idea of ze- of zealousness. We think of the Lord God who is jealous for us, and this is the idea of jealousy. But Based upon where it is in this portion and it's included in this list, more than likely it's referring to um, more of the indignation and being being fervently, negatively zealous towards something that's more ardor. Um, and then fits of rage is, you know, the culmination of wrath, enmity, anger, where you're actually being, um, you're being so, you're being hateful, you're actually acting out on it. Um, the word is almost described that you, the verse of outrage is literally, you're physically outrageous. You're physically doing something. You're either you're fighting, you're hurting people, or maybe just the way that you are describing things. You're, you're so tense, you know, your, your arms are shaking, your, your, your jaws clenched. and you're having a physical reaction. And Paul's including that in here when you, when you feel those different things. We keep going rivalries dissensions divisions you know these are all different ideas of strife in action we think of rivalries and that's you know you have selfish and business so you create divisions you create different things um the word for rivalries comes from a greek word and usually um, it originally started as a word that meant pay you pay somebody to do something and over time you became you you only do something because you're paid and eventually it became you only do something because you want to be the best or you want to be the person in charge so this idea of rivalries of making these different differentiations Dissensions is making divisions, trying to split people apart, and then he actually says divisions, and that's and so this word divisions is actually where we get the word heresy from. Heresy in reality is really just trying to make different options for people and making them choose. So you have to say, so we think of Calvinism and Arminianism, you have to pick one or the other. So that would be that would be heresy because you're saying that you have to pick a faction. You have to pick one or the other, and that's what he's trying to say. Is people that go in and make these make these trying distinctions to get people to split or to go in different directions or to create a problem so that there's no unity. And essentially, most of these are a reaction of trying to make disunity and trying to separate what God is, and God is a God of unity, a God of order. Um, it's really just a schism. And then we go into. Envyness, drunkenness, orgies, and, and really those are just what we call social societal sins. Um, really it's just debauchery, intoxication. Um, it's about carousing. I mean, it's old English, carousing, revelry. Essentially, you're just trying to lose control. You're just trying to do whatever I want to do and it doesn't, you know, I just want to have a good time. And, you know, you think about, um, you know, for work sometimes I have to go to, to the Google headquarters in different in different um, locations. Usually, they're all in Santa Monica, which means that you got to drive two hours back to get home. So all these guys that work at Google, they don't go home. They go, and they go to happy hour. They go to dinner together, because they're like, well, I don't want to sit in traffic. Uh, either sit two hours in traffic, or I'll go to happy hour. And then they just let loose. And then most of the guys don't come home that night. They know to do something. So it's this idea of you just different things that just make you not want to do the things that you want to do. You just want to pleasure. You just want to be able to do the things that make you happy, and not do the things that you're responsible for. Um, and so here says, as I've warned you before, so he's told them before, he's kind of forecasted, like, I've, I've let you guys know these things before, and he's doubling down and letting them know, I've already told you these things. And he says, for those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is reminding ourselves, again, that we're no longer under the law, and we're no longer succumb to the law, and so to do these things, to practice these things, you don't, you know, you're not supposed to, and you're not supposed to be practicing openly and purposefully. And when he says this idea of you will not inherit the kingdom of God, he is painting an imagery. You think of an inheritance and you think of a familial bond. You only inherit something because you, someone left you something, because a parent or, or someone that was close to you decided to leave you something. Um, I have a friend, and he uh, when, we, when we first met, he's actually a little bit older. He was worried because he had, um, him and his wife had like eight years' worth of private school debt, and they were, they, were getting, they were actually a little bit older, so they were worried they were falling back behind in life. And again, the, the point of the story isn't that he was happy about this, but his, his grandma died. And then when his grandma died, she left him a sum of money, and he was able to pay off all his debts, he paid off his school, he was actually able to put a down payment on the condo that they had originally, and he was left with that blessing. You know, he was left with an inheritance, something that he would receive because of that, and in order for him to receive that inheritance, his grandma had to die, you know, and there is a cost to an inheritance, and when Paul uses the same language, he's reminding us that there was a payment that had to be made for us to have this inheritance, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ and for what he did, but yet every person that believes, every person that is a believer that has the Lord in their heart, you get this inheritance, you know, and you get to actively act upon it now, and then we come into it in eternity. Um, So again, there's just this idea that he's trying to make this picture that he's trying to to portray, um, and that we essentially become fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Um, And again, I want to say, as we finish this portion right here, we sin all the time, right? You kind of read these words, and you're like, man, like I I kind of do some of these things. I'm kind of hateful to some people. I'm kind of, a, kind of a jerk to some people. But what Paul is trying to differentiate is these are people that actively practice this. We as believers, we are actively trying to mold ourselves to be closer to what Christ wants us to do. And so we don't habitually do this. We, we, sh- we should not be habitually doing these things. We are trying to actively work towards these things. So I would say to remind ourselves that sometimes it is daunting to look at these things and be like, I, I kind of hit some of these check marks. I kind of feel like I this 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 is me. I, I do it all. I, I look at this and I'm like I'm, I'm actually kind of worried. But here Paul's making sure that you understand that this is a habitual action. You this when you are led by the flesh, this is when you're doing these things. And 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 maybe for for me and maybe for some of us that when we look at this list and we're like oh, you know I am kind of hateful towards some people. Maybe it's a call that we gotta we gotta examine you know what we're allowing in our lives to happen. You know are we are we allowing the flesh to take control and to do these things and to push the other things out. Um, but just you know just Something to think about. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against um, such things there is no law. Here um, he uses the word fruit, and it's actually singular. To again, in some 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 writers believe that he uses a singular word to again signify the unity of God. That God God is unified, and that it produces fruit. But when you think of fruit, you think of uh, you think of a good thing, right? Like if something produces fruit. It's doing what it's supposed to do. You're receiving something out of it, fruit you can eat. You can use it to do other things. But essentially, it's doing something that fills a, fills a role. It gives us something. Um, you know, you think of the, uh, the, the what do you think of, we'll keep going, um, love. Love and here, the word love is um, agape, agape, so that's the, the overflowing love. Um, one of the biggest distinctions I want to make about this specific version of the word love in the text is that this is, this is decisional love. So you have decided to love, and just like God has decided to love us and send his son, it's the same word that he uses, is that you decide to love this way. This isn't like a friendship love. This isn't like a, like a relationship love. This is, this is I am choosing to be loving. I am choosing to be self-sacrificing. I am choosing to put these other people before me. That's the love that he's actually talking about, um, and we, we see it in the son of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ loved us so much that he gave himself agape love so that we would have salvation. Um, joy, we think of joy, and you think of this, uh, this and you hear the word joy, and most, most people believe that this is the joy that you cannot get outside of God. This is the joy that you only receive when you are in perfect fellowship with God, and it makes a distinction between you know, what we would think of happiness or what we would think of pleasure of other things. It's completely different from that. This is a, a heavenly joy, um, and joy is Joy is contagious you know like you, you meet other people and they talk about the things that they're going through and the, all the new things we, we have our bible study and we pray for all these different things and when we hear that someone is is being healed or we feel like someone is getting getting better we share that joy right like, you're like oh that's awesome you know we're, we're following this thing with rick and you know sometimes you read some of these emails I, mean, I send the emails so i read these emails first and i gotta send them out and uh and i'm like man this this is terrible and then betty starts talking about he's getting better and i'm like this is awesome like I'm glad, you know, and that's and that's the way joy is, right? Joy is infectious. We, I, I think about people who get engaged or have a kid, and I'm like, well, that's not my kid, and I'm I'm not the one getting engaged again. But I'm I'm kind of excited. Like, this is awesome. When's the wedding? Let's do. And joy is supposed to be infectious, and I think that's what Paul is trying to say. Is there's these qualities that we have that are gonna be, we're gonna show, and then other people feel it, and then we keep just kind of spreading it like wildfire. Um, This idea of peace, you know, being um, the quietness, rest, and here um, most most people believe that this word peace is peace between you and God. You are no longer under the law, and you are no longer bound to, you know, to go to hell. And now you and God are at peace because you can have fellowship because you guys have this connection now that you can enjoy each other. Patience, this idea of forbearing, long suffering. um, Most writers believe that this word for patience. You know, sometimes we think of patience and we think of people who maybe get, you know, they get walked over, you know? And, and Paul is saying that's not the case. This is somebody that chooses to be patient, chooses to be long-suffering, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of going through things. They are choosing to be pa- patient. They are choosing to be strong and to show that in a, in a, in a meekful way. And then it goes into gentleness. And he talks about this idea of being gentle and being meek and even the Lord Jesus Christ is described that way as being meek and lowly. Um, this idea of self-control um, being able to resist you know, the things that we run into, and, and whether that's physical self-control with um, you know, drinking and alcohol and food and what you do with your spare time, or whether it's a, it's a emotional self-control, like if not trying to get angry at people, trying to keep your sarcasm <laughs> out of check, trying to do different things to to combat that, this idea of self-control, and that's what Paul's trying to say. Um, and, and as we were reading before, this freedom in Christ doesn't give us liberty to cast off all these moral restraints, but now we, like, like, like David was sharing um, with his example, Now we get to do these things to show God how much we love him because we want to be exemplified in what what we believe is what the Lord wants us to do. And he ends with this thing saying, against such things there is no law. If you do these things in this list, you're never going to be faulted by the law because these things complete the law. These things are the essence of what God actually wanted from the law, and that is to love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You do these things, and you're completing those two laws. Sometimes I think, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And it's like, just do these things. And if you do these things, you're going to keep doing the thing that God wants you to do. And eventually you'll move into knowing more about what God wants you to do. But there's no way you can get in trouble for doing these things. These are things that we get to do to show God how much we love him. And show each other how much we love each other. To treat us to treat each other, to treat each other the way that we should be treated. Um, verse 24 and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, so those who belong to Christ Jesus, those who are saved, those who have given themselves over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, Paul could have said those who belong to Jesus Christ have killed their desires and their passions and their desires, but he chooses to use the word crucify, you know, to remind us that, the you know, we, you can, death is death and to be killed is one thing but to remind us of what the Lord Jesus Christ did, that he himself would be crucified and he would be crucified on our behalf. It wasn't his sin that he was paying for. It wasn't his fault that they were paying for. When they, when you read through the, the gospels, they clearly make it make it known that the people of the time knew that Christ wasn't guilty of anything. And yet they still killed them because that's what, that's what was wanted. And so this idea of being crucified, the, this idea that we remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus Christ has been through this and now we get to die to ourselves every day. We get to sacrifice ourselves every day. So in order for us to do the things that we are supposed to do. Um, and so he just keeps going and says, and says that um, verse 25, or, yeah, verse 25. Um, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Um, so again, this idea if we let the Spirit um, Take control. We, we were going to do these things. And here, when he says keep in step with the Spirit, this word step is actually different than the word walk in the first part. Here in step, he's actually talking about um, uniformity. He's talking about holding to a specific path that you're trying to follow through. So he's saying if we live by the Spirit, we need to stay on the path. So the Spirit gives us the path and we need to tread on it and do what we're supposed to do. Um, and then again, just letting ourselves not be conceited and envying, envying one another. Um, not taking the liberties that we have, not taking the freedom that we have and using it to to subject other people or to hurt other people or to take our liberties and put them in other people's faces. We want to serve one another. We want to love one another. We want to be joyful with one another. And we want to avoid doing things like that. Um, So you remember that story I started with? So the concert's going. And this dude is, again, it's a sea of people. The guy's like a rock in an ocean. He's not moving. And he's like, waves are crashing. and He's not moving. And he's sitting there strong-armed, and he's just, you know, it's, we're like five songs in, and he didn't move. I was like, I was like, I, I can't believe he's not cramping up. He's not moving at all. But he's sitting there, and he's looking at him. And I kept thinking to myself, you know, I'm sure these guys go on tour, and they go to all the different states, and they see hundreds of thousands of people. Like, I'm sure they, they at the end of the day, they don't care if someone doesn't like them or if someone acts this way. But I'm like, I wonder what they're thinking. So anyways, this guy's standing there, and we're a couple songs in, and uh, I see that he, the guy, Makes eye contact with the lead singer from Lion K. The guy's singing a song, playing his guitar, and they make eye contact. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like you might have actually noticed. And they make eye contact. And this guy, I think he noticed, and I feel like he even became even stronger, even even more tense, even more like I'm not gonna do anything. And he's sitting there, and this time he actually starts kind of like, no, like I don't care that you see me. Like I'm not embarrassed that you see me. So the guy that's the guy the guy from the from Lion K, the singer, uh, he's playing his guitar, he's singing. And as he's, as he's playing, he waves to the side, and as he waves to the side, this guy comes out, and it's, uh, it's, it's one, of the, one of the guys, on the, one of the roadies, right, they're coming out, and he's bringing him a guitar, and so all these guys are rock stars, right, so they play with brand new cherry red, you know, brand new guitars, but he takes off his guitar, he unplugs it, and he's still singing the song, like, he's still singing the song and doing this at the same time, and he hands the one guy the guitar, and the guy gives him the other guitar, so he grabs a guitar, and you look at the guitar, and it's old, it's dilapidated, it even had a couple holes in it, so I'm wondering how this guitar is even gonna work. Completely old guitar. Puts it on, plugs it in, keeps the song going, he's singing, he's playing, and then at this point, he's actually moved closer. Like I said, we're on the rail, so we're like, we can touch the stage. So he walks closer, moves the mic, moves closer, gets on the edge of the rail, so now he's actually standing directly in front of the guy. They're looking at each other, and as he's playing, he points to the sticker on his guitar. And at the bottom of the guitar at the bridge, he has a sticker, and it's a queen sticker. And if you guys remember, this guy that's doing this is wearing a queen sweater. So he went out of his way to get the oldest guitar that he had, that he remembered he had a queen sticker on, pulled it out, had him switch in the middle of the song, started playing with it, and he pointed to the sticker. And he's looking at the guy, pointed at the sticker, playing the song, and the guy's arms, like, drop. And he's, like, he looks at his friend, and his friend's, like, dude, dude, like, are you seeing this? Changes his whole attitude. All of a sudden, this dude's moving in the show. I mean, I'm sure he doesn't know any of the songs, but he's actually at least enjoying the show. He's got a smile on his face, and he's having a good time. One action. This guy came in there, and he was like, "I'm purposely going to be against this guy." And this one guy could have done anything on the planet, and he decided to find a way to show him that they had common ground. Man, that's all there was. And the guy had a great time. The guy enjoyed the rest of the like, the next five songs. He left, and I and I remember. I remember. Uh, Every time you go to a show, you've got to pick up merchandise. you got to go buy shirts. you got to support bands. Anyways, so I go to the merch table, and I want to go buy a shirt from a couple of bands that I saw, and this dude was at the Reliant K table, and he was talking to the guy, and they're having a conversation, and they're laughing, and they're, they're, they're and, you know, and I'm not going to romanticize it. I have no clue whether this guy, you know, did anything to change his life or become a Christian or do anything. I'm not going to make that up, but he changed, the, the, his one outlook on life changed, and he made a connection, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, he'll go back. Check out Reliant KCDs, Check out what they're about. Somehow find his way to understand that Reliant is a Christian band and they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe, but he would have never got there if that guy never made that try, try to make try to make that distinction, try to make that connection. He didn't try to. If that guy had never tried to show him love, show him patience, show him kindness, show him gentleness, show him things that probably no one else would have cared to show him, it might have been a different story. So when I think about this passage, and I think of us, you know, what are we doing? Are we trying to live lives? exemplifying the things that the Lord wants us to exemplify these these fruit, this fruit of the spirit or are we allowing ourselves to be allowing the flesh to take over and take and be a majority of what's inside of us? remember both things can't live in harmony. Both things can't occupy the same space and you will have to give in to one or the other. And you got to decide what you want to do and it's hard. I, I would never stand up here and tell you guys that I know how to do it I'm the complete I have no idea how to do it but it's something that I like to remind myself every day of what am I trying to do? Am I trying to show other people who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and am I trying to show them that the Spirit of God lives in me and that I walk in that Spirit? Let's pray. Father God, we just give you thanks for this time. We just give you thanks for your Word, Father. We see just exactly what it is that you want us to see, Father, but we see how much you have given over to us, Father, that you would give your Son, that you would give us eternal life, that you would give us an inheritance, Father, and that you would give us the strength to do all these things. We would just pray, Father, that we would have a desire to let the let the Spirit take over, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would stay in line with the Spirit, Father. And we just pray that we would be good stewards of what you've given over to us, Father. We just pray for all these things and ask that you you bless everyone in this room. We give you thanks in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.